Social listening mm-hmm. is about serving your market. It's about anticipating rather than reacting. It's about understanding alignment between institutions and the people it is meant to serve or could be serving in the future. It's not a social media thing. It's not how do I get a better social media account? It's how do I be a more sustainable and centered institution that meets the needs of the marketplace I'm trying to serve. Hey, welcome to the Higher Ed Storytelling University podcast here on the B Podcast Network. This is a show dedicated to helping higher ed marketers tell better stories, create better content, and enroll more students. My name's John Azoni. I'm the founder at Unveiled, and we're a video production company working specifically with college marketing teams to make it easy for them to scale up and even automate their student and alumni success stories through our subscription approach. And you can learn more about that at unveiled.tv, and that's U-N-V-E-I. LD.TV. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, uh, go ahead and subscribe. We'd love to have you. And if you're wanting your college and university's content to resonate on a deeper emotional level with prospective students, with alumni, with parents, whatever, I want you to subscribe to my free newsletter. Every week I send out tips and insights on creating more emotionally resonant content, including examples and best practices from other institutions, articles and blog posts, that week's podcast episode, and much more. So head over to unveiled.tv newsletter and sign up. All right, let's get on with the show. My guest today is Liz Gross. Liz is the founder and CEO of Campus Sonar, a higher ed strategy firm that partners with campuses to enact changes informed by digital and social intelligence. She's an award-winning speaker, author, and strategist with nearly 20 years of experience in higher ed and strategic social listening programs. She received a PhD in leadership for the advancement of learning and service in higher education at Cardinal Stritch University, a master's degree in educational policy and leadership from Marquette University, and a bachelor's degree in interpersonal communication uh, from the University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point. Uh, Liz, thank you for being here. Very excited to be here and represent all those Wisconsin institutions. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Um, so we like to start off with, uh, by asking, what's something that people might be surprised to know about you? So I say a lot of stuff about me online. So this might be a surprise for people who are, have not been like a regular Instagram or Twitter follower or something like that. Uh, but my work is all about technology, right? But for over a decade, my biggest hobby has been gardening, specifically vegetable gardening. Uh, there's a really large garden. Some people call it a farm in my backyard. And mm-hmm. we grow nearly all the vegetables that we eat in a year back there because I can and dehydrate and, and preserve. Um, and that's led to like interest in sustainable and regenerative agriculture, six years of service on a related nonprofit board, moving to a rural area where for a while I struggled to have good internet connection while running a company based on what happens on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> like, I read textbooks and farm manuals for fun. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, we're going to be good friends, Liz, because I like all things like like gardening, like do it yourself. Like I make kombucha at home. I like to ferment like stuff. My Me and my kids make uh, sauerkraut and all this stuff. So I've got a special fridge just for my fermented foods. <laughs> <laughs> it got pretty out of hand at, at one point. We had like um like 
beans growing in our por- on our porch and then we would ferment those and there'd be like jars all over the place stuff like that so i i don't hear a problem in that statement yeah so. <laughs> yeah um i w- i would love to have land that's like one thing so i i love my house because we're in the suburbs here in um the detroit area and it's and we're on a corner lot and so it's kind of it's kind of got like a farm vibe like we got a big backyard and stuff like that compared to the houses around us in the in the neighborhood but like i'm like always so jealous of like people that just have like four wheelers and like just acres and acres of of land <laughs> i'm not there yet but i have a zillow search running so yeah we'll see <laughs> <laughs> cool um okay so uh let's jump in here so this is a uh higher ed storytelling podcast obviously so uh you're in the social listening business and there's quite a big connection between listening and storytelling. So tell me, tell me what you think about that. Yeah. So social listening, which I consider to be a research method, right? I, the shortest way I've ever referred to social listening is the world's largest always online focus group. (laughs) So I just want folks to know that's what I think about when I think about social listening, it can really connect storytelling opportunities and outcomes to really key campus priorities like reputation, enrollment strategy, program development, because it's really key to recognizing that as a marketer, right, you're not the only storyteller that matters when it comes to your brand. So I think about the rise of social listening as a need to have to be an authentic storyteller is tied with the rise of peer influence uh, just in general, which happened at the same time that we started to see the public trust in higher education decline precipitously. And that's what all of the headlines continue to be about in 2023 is low public trust in higher ed. And students, current students, alumni, prospective students, they are building their thoughts, feelings, opinions, perceptions based on what they see talked about online. And if that conversation is all about, you know, economic instability, inflation, student loan repayment, tough job market, layoffs at tech companies, all those sorts of things, that is their narrative. Not you will make more than a million dollars extra over the course of your lifetime with a college degree wage premium. Instead, colleges just assume, right, that we're the next step. This is what you should do. And it's just about what choice do you make? And I think that for far too long, too many colleges haven't been listening in the place where consumers were actually talking and building their opinions. They've decided to tell stories that are perceived as telling consumers what's good for them using Mm -hmm. statistics or a defense of like the liberal arts or flashy marketing campaigns, while the regular folks who are the target of those ads just like remain confused and defensive about the role Mm -hmm. of education in their lives and they don't feel heard. So social listening is a way for brands, campuses, institutions, organizations to make sure they are actually hearing the people that they serve and that they really understand what their brand is. Like one of my favorite brand quotes is brand isn't, is what they say it is not what you, the marketer, says it is. And we know at Campus Sonar from six years of researching higher ed online conversation that 75% of what is said about an institution online is not coming from campus sources. And a lot of campuses are completely unaware of what that looks like. And that's where the value proposition and the storytelling 
is happening in spaces that a lot of teams currently aren't in or paying attention to. Yeah, I like what you said about, I mean, the sentiment of a college degree is um, oftentimes the narrative they're hearing is negative. And honestly, like I woke up this morning and I had, I, cause I published little snippets of this podcast to YouTube shorts and things like that. And even someone commented on a previous snippet that was like, the moral of the story is don't go to college or something like that. You know, <laughs> it's like, you're like, Oh, interesting interpretation, but that's, that's what they're being conditioned to think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And if we're not addressing that in our storytelling, I think that's a good point because like, you know, we can we can talk all day long about like, oh, this student was successful and they went off and did this thing. Uh, but there is probably a pocket of, you know, opportunity for addressing this, like um, maybe the sentiment that that college isn't necessary, um, you know, in order to get a good job or uh, get a positive experience. So I think I like it, it opens up the opportunity for, you know, storytelling doesn't have to just be about publishing, publishing, publishing. It can also be about amplifying or enhancing stories that are already out there. So yes. I know on, on one of your previous podcasts, you had Josie talking about how important it is to empower student storytellers, right? And I think about that not just from those students who happen to be paid or get internship credit to tell stories on behalf of the university, but any old student who needs to be equipped to tell their own story for their own benefit to get a job, you know, get promotion, get pro uh, professional recognition, those sorts of things. Them doing that and tying who they've become back to their institution is a huge storytelling benefit for the institution. And if you're not preparing them to do that, and or not being aware of when it happens organically so you can amplify that, then you're missing out on that really authentic view of what college means and the value of it. Yeah, that's a good point because because storytelling is not just video. You know, it's not just blogs. It's it's public speaking. Storytelling enhances public speaking. Storytelling enhances interview, the interview experience and teaching that to uh, students um, is super important. I think storytelling is a very important like business skill uh, to have. And you're right. Like if they are learning how to tell their story and your university is a part of that, then then they're going to be naturally amplifying your university. Yeah. Um, and so then there's this element too about uh, where social listening helps anticipate how the market moves. Like what are you seeing happening with how slow higher ed moves compared to how they could move with a stronger focus on social listening? In almost every conversation I have with, I'll start with a marketer, with a marketer, it, they will say something when I ask, what do you wish you could do better? Or what do you wish you had more of a focus on? They will say, I wish we were more proactive and less reactive to what's happening around us. So from a marketing standpoint, it's like we want to be thinking about our messaging and, and being proactive in our messaging, not just responding to what other people say about us. But lately, I've been spending more time talking with presidents about what they're thinking about, kind of the future of their institution as a whole. And they're in the same place, but with a different lens. They're thinking, how do we become the institution that we need to be 10 years from now if all of our market research and everything is talking to the same people we've talked to for the last 20 years, or we're looking at labor data from five years ago, 10 years ago. Like, how do we build the degree programs and the student structures for 2035 
2023, if we're looking at data from 2015, right? like that, <laughs> yeah. that, that's a challenge. So social listening can help anticipate market moves because it's a real time feedback mechanism that also allows to, for you to go back in time historically. So social listening can be in the moment and it's really valuable in the moment. You can also right now decide, I want to understand the changes in this particular topic of conversation over the last three years and then go pull everything that's been stored in social networks and forums and blogs from that certain time. So I get excited when institutions want to um, use social listening. A good friend of mine, uh, Teresa Valerio Parrot at TVP Comms, will always say you can use it to see around corners, right? See mm-hmm. what's up there, what's just out of view. So a uh, really good example of this, we just started working with an art school that knows that the problem isn't more people need to hear about us, right? Although that's also what you'll hear from a lot of folks. More people just need to hear about us. The right. problem really is thinking ahead to 2035, we need to articulate the value and the promise of our art and art adjacent education to creative thinkers who might not identify as an artist right now, but who want to pursue careers that we know we can support, yet they're not looking at art schools. They're not considering a school like ours. So they are using a three-year social listening approach to think, how do we know what those students are interested in, where and with whom they interact and engage, and how we can strategically deploy our messaging and resources to reach them. So it goes into recruitment strategy, marketing strategy, even program design, because you're figuring out where you can meet the market as it's going by focusing on people, not a set of labor statistics. And then you start to tell forward-looking stories that capture where your audience's mind is going rather than just echoing what they've already heard from every other institution. Yeah. Imagine a story that was like, you know, a student that's like, you know, I didn't feel like I was an artist at all, you know, until, you know, I came to the school and and really developed these, the set of skills that I didn't think you could get at an art school or something like that. And and one of, one of, um, I don't even know what generation I'm supposed to be talking about these days, but the young ones, whatever we've named them, right? Alpha. (laughs) The biggest concern a lot of them have entering the workplace is like getting sucked into something that doesn't matter, losing their ability to make an impact on the world, like all that sort of stuff. So, so if you can help someone infuse their identity as a creative into what they're doing in their education and then ultimately their career, that's helping them hedge against that, even if they're going to go into what traditionally might be seen as like a bit of a soul sucking job in business or something like that. If you come into it with a design thinking mindset and, and like doing all of these things from a creative and you've been told you're a creative who does this for, for work. That's a different way of approaching your life than thinking, oh, I got to go make a paycheck and then maybe I'll have some time to do something other than watch Netflix later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And like the the creator economy is is the like the the playing field is being leveled so much. And I think about like I was just thinking about this the other day where it's like, you know, you have a traditional stand up comedian, you know, and they're a comedian. Like I'm a comedian. Like I'm not, I'm not saying I am. I'm saying like, you know, someone that is identifies as a comedian is like, I do stand up comedy, but like, then you go on TikTok, and there's so many f- just hilarious people that are just normal people. And they're being given this platform to be funny. And now it's like the comedy, um, you know, landscape has been spread so horizontally 
to to now where normal people are like uh you know what do you do for a living well i guess i'm kind of a comedian you know and, and i can good, see that with good business and entrepreneurial prep like they can monetize that in so many different ways. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about sharing of what might surprise people about me isn't actually about me. It's about my younger brother. Um, he and I took very different life paths. He went into the trades. He did HVAC stuff. He oversees project management for construction now. Um, he's also a nano influencer in Florida and has an Ooh. entire side business built around audiences on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. And he's figured out how to monetize them through like real estate and marketing. And it's fascinating. And when I tell people on a stage, right, you know, this was also mentioned on one of your earlier podcasts, one of the emerging desired uh, careers for young people is to be a creator, whether that's a YouTuber or whatever. Um, it doesn't have to be just, I'm an influencer, come get ready with me. Like there are so many ways to influence in a niche. And my brother is doing that by helping people figure out how to move to and have fun with families in Florida. Cause that's what yeah, he did. Uh, for sure. So we're on a and bit of so a many... tangent, but it's uh, you yeah. got to think more expansively about how, how are your prospective students thinking about their future? And it's probably not major job all of the time. So learn more right. about them so you can better connect with them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, especially for an art school, like I, it's, I've never thought about that before, but like, like reaching people who might not even think they're going to be an artist or a graphic designer or a industrial designer or whatever, but like have a creative streak. Um, and that's something that they could develop in a, in a more formal atmosphere. Um, Cool. Well, uh, so talk about, let's talk about brand reputation. Um, so when we do tell stories uh, or there are being stories told about our institution, what strategies can we employ to know the effect that's having on the brand's reputation? So if these stories are told with some bit of intentionality, um, and that's an if, but I hope a lot of your listeners are telling stories that align with a strategic plan or focused research pillars for an institution, goals, whatever that might be, you can start to think, you know, what are my team uses the phrase pillars all the time. You could also say themes or topic areas, right? But right. what are what are the pillars that we are trying to tell stories on, to be known for, to differentiate on, and then understand like what is the impact, what is the influence, what does it look like? And you can do that for really any like storytelling strategy. I've talked about it with law schools. I've talked about it with regional public institutions. Uh, and an example that I think really brings it to life, again, that other people might think is a little more boring, is a business school that we've worked mm -hmm. with. So uh, they welcomed a new dean and that dean wanted to launch her new vision and a refocused research agenda for the school on six key areas of business that and a lot of them are future focus areas of business mm -hmm. that this school wanted to be known for. So they're using social listening to understand the public perception of their work related to all of those pillars in social media and news and in forums. And we've been working with them now for almost two years, and it's been really great to see the evolution. So some things you can learn that you wouldn't learn just from, say, looking at the views on something or the engagement rate on where you're telling the stories, whatever that might be. Uh, so this school, like I think a lot of them, um, feel like they know who their top uh, 
I'm talking about faculty. So like who their top faculty influencers are, or most prestigious or whatever you might call that, right? So yeah. they have a list of, of their top 25. This is a large school, so there's a lot more than 25 faculty. Uh, they've got the list of their top 25. And we looked at these six pillars that they wanted to be known for. We looked backwards again to see like, what is the current state of these pillars in your institution in the public sphere? And those top 25 faculty represented just 10% of the school's research pillars. And that's where they were spending all their time telling stories. <laughs> it's just like, let's talk about them. Let's talk about them. They're famous. They're well-known. But they were focusing all those efforts on some of the wrong people and places. And I suspect also some of their funding. Uh, mm. So we also got to help them find that there were research centers that were really under the radar of administration, but they had really high public interest. They were aligned with one of these six pillars and they had greater opportunities for promoting and furthering research by telling their stories. Mm-hmm. They also learned that, you know, this is a, a business school that's been around for a long time. Uh, they, you know, value rankings and tradition and, and those sorts of things. But they learned that social re- social media was actually responsible for much more research visibility than traditional news media. So then they had to think, like, it's not all about a PR pitch, right? It's how right. are we either telling our own story or equipping our researchers to tell their story? And then the last thing that I thought was interesting is, is you can tell, you know, where is their traction versus where, where do you might need to invest more in getting a story out there or question if it's the story that needs to be told at all. So they had six research pillars that we're looking at. Three of the pillars with the most online mentions over this like historical time period we looked at had about two to three times the mention volume of the other three. So you can dive deeper into that to figure out, is it because those are future-focused research topics and folks just aren't talking about it yet? Like stories about artificial intelligence today have a lot different uptick and resonance than stories about artificial intelligence two years ago, for example. Oh, for sure. Uh, so you can think about it from that way. Like, is it, are we just ahead of the game and we're moving it? Or are the, is the research under resource or, or are they just less supported in strategic communications over there because we haven't figured out the storytelling? So we like did this very in depth figuring out where they were at when they started this like Dean's new vision. And then we keep working with them over time to filter through this massive volume of mentions they have because they are well known to figure out what's most valuable in, in measuring their impact and brand perception and informing their content decisions. So they mm-hmm. see what's being shared on Reddit, what's happening on Twitter, what's over on Instagram, and that helps them figure out where they should be, what they should be talking about. And then also quantify what's trending around the research so that when they talk to a dean who is not a full-time marketer, right? They can provide better context and analysis of the impact in the greater world. And when someone says, you know, we want to be a national brand, we want to go to the national stage, we want to be known for X, Y, Z, that's what you're looking for. Are people talking about you in these particular ways? And if you're not actually measuring that in real time, you'll never know if you achieved the goal and social listening can help with that. And so what if you're, um, you know, some people might be asking what we're a small school. Um, we, you know, we don't have all of these mentions and thousands and thousands of, uh, mentions and stuff like that. What, how, how do you, how does a smaller school that's maybe a little more under the radar listen? Yeah. Um, so the way you listen is, is 
very similar. It's just what you're able to capitalize on looks different. So um, I had someone ask us a question earlier this week. They said, do you think social listening is quantitative or qualitative? Because apparently other people have told them that it's one or the other. And it is mm. uh, 100%. It is both. It is both, yeah. qualitative at its core. And there are quantitative ways of measuring it. But we, we I'm going to say we as marketers, really tend to um, gravitate to anything quantitative. So if the number is bigger, it must be better. Whereas you often want to look at what is the sentiment of this or where is where is the opportunity within the conversation? And you can do that with a much smaller conversation volume. So for example, on average, a small private school in the United States has, and this is an estimate because I don't have this table in front of me, uh, but I think if I can remember, it's somewhere between like five and 7,000 online mentions a year, which some people would be like, that's, that's not a lot, right? Well, if you have an incoming class of 400, <laughs> that can be a significant amount of, of mentions. So I think about um, a really good example. We are working with a very small, exclusively graduate health sciences university. And that's one of those where people would be like, oh, well, there's no 17 year olds on TikTok talking about, you know, their med school uh, education. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have really great opportunities to identify outcomes based storytelling. And that's why people choose why, why to go to how, where to go to grad school is what's it going to do for me in my career. So as a health sciences institution, one of their biggest storytelling opportunities, in my opinion, is match day. It happens every spring when med school grads find out what residency programs they've matched with. And Mm -hmm. ever since I learned about this day quite a few years ago, it's like my favorite day in the spring on social media because you see these people who have spent years and years in medical school now figuring out like, this is where I'm going to go be a doctor first. And yeah. everyone finds out on the same day. Everyone in med school finds out on the same day. It's wild. It's, it's a huge moment for peer reputation and influence because schools are celebrating their graduates. Medical centers are celebrating the new residents that are coming to practice medicine there and continue their education. And new doctors, the actual like, protagonists of this story are celebrating their next steps in the future. So Mm -hmm. when we look at this for this institution, they're small, they've got small programs, they're targeted, but we could still help them identify the students who were featured in what we would call their earned conversation on match day. So who was talking about the institution when the institution wasn't talking about them itself those students who show up and earn conversation because they're excited and they're bragging or because their future medical center is bragging, uh, they're already prone to sharing their med school journey already. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they are likely to be good candidates for storytelling opportunities that highlight their professional journey and their achievements. And that is where you'll get it full circle to show where are storytelling opportunities that relate to value and outcomes for an institution that definitely is not like top of mind national brand recognition for everyone, but is on the radar for medical students that want to study or pre-med students who want to study specific specializations, right? And it's about finding those stories to tell. And that's just one example of where you can look really targeted for individual storytelling opportunities compared to trends in an audience or a uh, industry uh, storytelling opportunities. Both are valid depending on the institution and its needs. 
Yeah, that reminds me the match day thing. That reminds me of I just talked about this yesterday in my uh, newsletter, uh, but this whole rush talk phenomenon of um, <laughs> which I just I mean I've been seeing these posts in my TikTok feed of like girls like dancing around and like it's and and stuff like that and i'm like oh that's michigan state i'm probably being served it because it's like you know down the street for me sort of um and i didn't realize until recently that that's like a whole thing where it's like people are like rooting for their rush whatever you call it hopefuls you know to get into a (laughs) sorority or something and it's like this dramatic thing and then since i wrote about it um, I got served more and I got served like yesterday, a TikTok of a girl crying cause she didn't get, in, she didn't get into her, uh, you know, desired sorority. And I didn't know that was such a, that's such a big thing. And I can imagine, yeah, like in a graduate level, that sentiment probably is, is strong of like people wanting to follow, like, you know, who, you know, who's going where. And it just seems like very benign, like why, who cares, but People really care. <laughs> right. Well, and then, so staying on the TikTok, which, by the way, I'm almost a year clean from TikTok because it became a time suck addiction. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't do it. So now I see what ends up on Instagram two weeks later after it was on TikTok. But there is a whole subset of medical, uh, medical residency influencers on TikTok. Mm. And they are showing what it's like to be a resident. They're sharing some health information. Like they have brand deals, but they're also doing yeah. a residency. Like this is a thing in every single niche and knowing how your specialty, your area of program, your institution itself is represented in any of those niche areas is really important if you truly want to understand how the marketplace views you. For sure. Yeah. The, the rush tack thing they were talking about, like these girls are getting like major brand deals and like becoming like major influencers and they're they're like launching entire you know social careers <laughs> just from being a sorority hopeful or whatever it's wild yeah quick break here to dispel a myth that myth is this if you already have an internal videographer or video team at your college then it doesn't make sense for us to work together Now, you may be expecting me to say, oh, that's a myth. It's not true. Well, actually, in some cases, it is true. If you maybe have a robust video team, multiple people manning multiple different stations and operations, and you're telling stories, and and when your marketing team has an idea for a video, you can get that pushed through the video team relatively quickly. Like You're not going to be waiting around for months and months for them to get to that project in the queue. That's a perfect case where you're probably good. God bless you. Go take on the world. But maybe you're one of these schools where budgets are a little tighter. Roles are combined. Your social media manager is also your content creator. Those are two separate jobs, by the way. Well, that's what my friend Shar, who at the time we recorded this, uh, she was doing both for the institution she works at. She was the social media manager and the videographer and the photographer. Since recording this with her, they've actually moved her into a full-time videographer, photographer, content creator role. And for her sake, I'm super pumped for her. But I'm going to let her tell you about her experience with our video storytelling subscriptions and how partnering with us in addition to the internal video work she was already doing helped her be able to focus on the many other priorities that she had. So here's Shar. The video subscription idea was a real godsend for me. It's been kind of life-changing in a way. (laughs) I don't know if that's too uh, strong of a statement. 
on a couple of different levels. As a social media manager, it was really fantastic to have this entire campaign, if you will, of student testimonials. I know that for my channels, I'm going to get a new video every single month. There's a lot of content to produce and not a lot of content creators here. So having somebody who can take that portion off my plate, it's, it's allowed me a little bit of room to breathe and maybe focus on some other projects. Not only do you get a fully edited testimonial, you also get a delivery of all of the B-roll that was taken of that student. For instance, we have this culinary institute and one of the projects we wanted to do is to create uh, just a short little video connected to a QR code uh, that on all the little chocolates that we, that we give out in the restaurant or if they make chocolates for a special event or for our board members or for any meetings or graduation, they can scan this QR code and up pops this video of some like really beautiful slow-mo hands making chocolate and that sort of thing. And I was able to go into this B-roll and find some fantastic shots of one of our students who did a testimonial creating these bonbons and creating cakes and you've got the batter going and you've got the chocolate drizzling. So I know that I'm going to be able to take that footage, resize it, I can, I can resize it vertically if I need it, I can resize it into a one by one if I need it, uh, I can color grade it however I need to fit my needs. And I really don't have to travel across the state to our culinary institute to do a whole new shoot because I've got that B footage at my hands. So really, that's something that I could sit down, edit for a couple of hours, have it done and check it off the list, which is fantastic. So if you'd like to get like Shar and bring in an outside partner like Unveiled, you can go to unveiled.tv and book a call with me. That's U-N-V-E-I-L-D.tv. All right, back to the show. I talk a lot on this podcast about the need to listen first for stories. I think when we go to tell stories, uh, especially colleges, universities, we, we kind of go to the obvious of, you know, someone always wanted to do this thing and, and then they went to the school and they did the thing and now they're doing the thing out in the real world. And it's kind of like, okay, cool. Um, you know, but like when you really listen uh, intimately to what, what people are saying and and the themes that are coming up you can tell such um greater stories talk about that and how that can apply to like you know other things like strategic plan launch you know capital campaigns that that kind of thing yeah this is uh exciting for me because when you think about a strategic plan, a capital campaign, who you want to be as an institution, you need to understand the ethos and experience of a large group of people. Like you might choose a couple to tell the individual story, right? But you really need to understand this large group of people. And every strategic planning process that I have ever been involved in in higher education looks pretty similar. <laughs> There's, mm -hmm. you know, a set of focus groups with there's some with faculty, there's some with administrators, there's some with students, there's some with alumni. There's a big survey that's launched. There's a like, what should we look at? And then ultimately, the president is deciding what they want to do anyway. And we create a strategic plan. <laughs> and in many cases, we don't actually go back and tell the time it is to make the next strategic plan to think, are we living up to who we said we were going to become in that strategic mm -hmm. plan? But even earlier than that is who we said we're going to become serving 
the people we say we're going to serve? Like, is there alignment there? And yeah. I am really energized by some institutions and organizations that are taking more of a holistic look into planning for these big institutional efforts and say, we need, we need to know the marketplace. We need to know what's happening now. We need to know what was happening the last few years. And we need to listen to everybody. And we need to be open to seeing what bubbles up as well as assessing if what we expected to be there is already there. And I think a really good way to describe this is an organization that serves a lot of higher education institutions. Uh, their acronym is SCUP. Higher Ed Loves, an acronym, stands for the Society oh, yeah. for College and University Planners, right? So they serve the people who build all of these plans. And that organization is using social listening as a long-term strategy to help them center their work and their future um, initiatives and programs in the insights they get from current and future members, customers, whatever you want to call them. And they're using social listening to inform their strategic plan, to monitor its effectiveness, and over time develop their business goals and tactics along the way. So this is an example where, you know, we of course, they're looking like who talks about our organization and our events and what's happening there. But they're also looking at you know, how is the concept of all the various types of strategic and institutional planning talked about across higher ed? How is it covered in the media? And then they think, well, where are the students showing up in this? Like, ultimately, all of these plans are to serve students. So then they're like, what's, what's some of the biggest issues, you know, um, facing higher education as we move into the next 10 and 15 years? And it all coalesces around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So they yeah. are going to use social listening research to understand how are people talking about DEIB in higher ed? What does it actually mean to different groups of people, administrators, students? And one of the questions or two of the questions that they have that I think are most interesting are um, how do the first person narratives, so students, faculty, staff, talking about DEIB issues in higher ed, how do those compare to media narratives about this issue in higher ed? How does it compare to official campus narratives in higher education? Is there a gap? Is there a conflict? Is there opportunity? And what narratives are most strongly associated with positive or negative sentiment? Because these are the things that this organization needs to wrap its mind around and that its member campuses that it serves need to wrap its mind around. And they're taking this audience-centric approach to guide an entire organization, which then helps guide dozens and hundreds of campuses around the country. And this can be translated to a campus as well, but it's, it's thinking like everyone everyone, most, many, not everyone is fully online, but lots of folks <laughs> are sharing their experiences, their frustrations, their hopes, their failures, their associations, all of those things online all of the time. It's related mm -hmm. to who we serve, what we want to achieve, what our brand is, etc. Why would we leave all of that to unexamined? Well, we yeah. go send a survey to the easiest to access alumni and make our decisions based on that. Yeah. Wow. I don't have the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, I think it's an important question to consider. And there's room for both, right? But 
It's a massively, massively insightful and valuable data set that's out there that is, it's hard to gather and understand and accomplish, but I mean, I built a team that does only that. And that's why we want to help higher ed be better and more audience centric. That's awesome. How can someone, and this is something I've always struggled with because I've heard, I've heard a lot about, you know, social listening over the years and stuff like that. And I know there's like social listening, like if you're on Hootsuite or something, you can do some, or I think, I don't know, a lot of these social media platforms have some sort of listening component, but like, how can a, maybe a smaller school at least like dip their toes into this? Maybe they're not at the point where they're going to completely outsource this entire listening campaign, but maybe they want to start just kind of seeing what's out there, like what, where would they go? Yeah. So a lot of um, what you could have in a platform like Hootsuite um, is what we would call social media monitoring. It's like, where are we mentioned in things or where is our, our name show up like very clearly? Um, and that is a place to start to see where things are out there. There are not a lot of free ways to do it anymore. Uh, the mm-hmm. APIs of most of these platforms have changed. Uh, it's also really high value intelligence. So that's a reason <laughs> that it's not free anymore. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I would say a really good first start of just, I'm curious. I have no idea what's out there. Uh, of course, I think you should call me. But if you want to be on your own. Oh, that's a given. <laughs> yes. Call, call Liz. But if you, if you don't have a phone for some reason, right? If you, you want to call Liz, you want to start really, really dipping your toes in on your own. Two places where you should search for the name of your institution or a popular professor or your acronym or whatever that might be would be Reddit and YouTube, uh, and see what yeah. comes up that is particularly in the comments. <laughs> Uh, but yes. whatever comes up that's not officially affiliated with your institution and you will likely find um, people comparing you to others, people talking about their good, their bad, their ugly, their wonderful experiences. You might find some student influencers you didn't know existed that at least show you that there is something out there. And then if you want to dip a little bit more, like that's just looking about your brand, right? You can also look at what are these things we want to be known for and what is out there about it. So um, where my personal and professional overlapped last week, uh, I saw a VP of marketing communication talking about their institutions, small private colleges uh, work in regenerative agriculture. And I was like, Ooh, that's exciting to me. I I love this. But if you search for regenerative agriculture on YouTube, you will find that it is part of the fastest growing, one of the fastest growing niches on YouTube for content creators that are taking this like homesteading, gardening, small scale, regenerative agriculture, mashing it up into a category. Uh, And it's full of hundreds, if not thousands of individual content creators that are doing things. And that's influencing how people think about regenerative egg now. So yeah. like a quick search in YouTube and, and Reddit will give you a glimpse of what's right. out there to get these, you know, um, consistent and high level institutional strategy informing insights. You should be looking at more than one site and <laughs> with more than just like, a list of uh, what comes back, but to get an idea of what's out there, that's a great place to start. I love Reddit. If I'm up in the middle of the night, which is 
usually at some point every night i'm like i wake up in the middle of the night and then i'm like scrolling reddit for like half an hour till i go back to sleep but that's where i um get like so much of the real information like if i want a real comparison between two programs uh that i'm thinking about investing in or uh people's opinion about something that's like my my silver bullet is like type in like you know opinions on this whatever blah 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 uh reddit you know and then it's and then you go to the reddit threads and i'm like you get like a really more honest look at this is like what people are really saying versus a blog that's saying uh you know that has affiliate links you know associated with and then that's why they're comparing one or the other and um but yeah that's that's good yeah reddit is like it's where the vast majority of um admissions intelligence is for higher ed um and I, i recently spoke about reddit with college presidents and i was like many of you might not know what reddit is because I think the stat is something like folks under 30 are 30 times more likely to use Reddit than mm-hmm. those over the age of 55. Like it is a, it is a constant. We go search. We go try to figure out what's going to happen there. I have an issue with my doctor. I go find the community of everyone else that's had that same issue and figure out what they're saying. Like that's yeah, our peer town square now. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many good communities on, on Reddit, like that, that I follow things that I'm interested in that you can just, and then it's updated daily. Um, and, and just, yeah, just constant stream of information and conversation going on that you can, you know, stay abreast of that. I, I really, I really like, um, okay. So, and then, you know, so there are stories everywhere. And one of the things you mentioned to me, um, you know, before we recorded was, those departments might not have all the resources to tell those stories. Um, and they're, you know, they're the listening component could um, maybe help level the playing field with resources and things like that. Um, and I thought that was really, really interesting. So talk, talk about how that could work. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time in this conversation talking about how you use social listening to listen externally to what is being said about you by a bunch of other people. But interestingly enough, one of the problems that it is being used to solve on a lot of campuses is internal. And it's about how fragmented is our brand? Who is telling stories aligned with the messages that we want? Who is not? How many folks are trying to tell their stories? And so often, you know, it starts with what someone will just refer to as a social media audit, right? They're like, let's go do an audit and see who's out there telling stuff about us. And we have seen audits go into four digits of numbers of accounts that are out there representing an institution. And, you know, some of them are full-time marketers and some of them are, a professor and some of them are someone who has a very different job and then they were like but you're also in charge of social media for our department and you have to do our thing so um mm-hmm. they the resource allocation is is very different and what we like to do is look at um all of that conversation and put it into two categories we have it's all owned conversation right it's coming from the institution what we'll call it um owned core meaning those central marketing offices, which might be central marketing, might be development, might be admissions, might be athletics, right? These owned core folks who are expected to have marketing as a part of their job and have resources, whether it's human resources, financial resources, you know, better cameras, more time, whatever that might be. That's the core owned conversation. And then we look at the owned institutional conversation, which is anyone else who's created a visual, a, a digital 
property to communicate on behalf of the institution. And then we look at the full like owned and earned conversation and we see where it's at. And we've seen some institutions where owned core, which is all those resources are, is 3% or less of the conversation about the institution. And then owned institutional, all of these others might be 15%, 20%, 25%. And they're all doing it with, you know, paper clips and duct tape <laughs> and trying to figure <laughs> out what's going on. So often one of the first things that will help our partners do is get their own house in order, right? So we'll do the audit, but we'll also look at what are these folks posting? Is it aligned thematically? Are they posting? Are these dead properties that folks aren't going to be able to help with? And then figure out how can we support the people who have really good intentions of telling stories? And then how can we support those who just don't have time to do it, but need a story told every once in a while, perhaps from a different platform? And a really good example of doing this recently, and I love to shout this woman out whenever I can. Uh, Rachel Putman at the University of Arkansas, Fort Smith, has been thinking about how do I get my hands around this? And for them, it's very much like lots of good intentions, but not a lot of resources in all these other places. So did an audit, did an assessment, figured out where the brand was being diluted unintentionally, and then invited a lot of those account holders together to talk about brand equity and brand alignment and how their work is contributing to the overall voice of the institution and the representation of campus. And then they'll figure out like what accounts have the right resources and the right um, kind of strategic orientation to keep representing the brand and which ones could be better represented through collaboration with the Mm. offices who have that account. And the ultimate goal then is a cohesive storytelling approach on digital that's aligned with the strategic plan of who the campus wants to be. And that is something that she'll be able to talk about quantitatively and qualitatively when a trustee asks, like, what stories are we telling and do they matter? She can have all of that at her fingertips because Mm -hmm. listening has been core to figuring out just like what's going on in our space as well as outside of us. That's really interesting. Just, I mean, what you said about the internal core was like 3% of, <laughs> you know, the, the, the conversation. And I think a lot, and, you know, we can um, kind of connect that to like the need to kind of get out of the marketing office and talk to other stakeholders um, who are on the ground level with students and have maybe a platform to understand what the brand is about, what understand what the marketing objectives are. And that really helps the story submissions, like fi- finding the right kinds of stories. And we've said this a bunch of times on this podcast, but if you, you know, if you were to say, Hey, we're marketing team, Hey, we're looking for stories. Uh, and you know, you reach out to professors and, and things like that. They're, they don't know what you need, um, you know, and they're not aligned on, on like the, the conversation that you want to have and the, what, the stories you want to tell. So they might just pick stories. that's like, Hey, like I had a great experience with this school and, you know, that kind of thing. But when they're, when they're really aligned on, uh, what really makes a good story, um, you know, maybe a journey is someone having a journey that they've, they've gone through or, or just something unique, um, you know, that's so valuable and it's, and it's so valuable to rope all of those stakeholders into the, the marketing conversation like that marketing is, yeah, it's interesting to think about like, you know, the marketing team is not the only one amplifying, <laughs> you know, amplifying the the voice of the school. Right. And often when you do that sort of a look at like what's what's inside the house, 
um, you'll find that there are some surprise excellent storytellers, and they could be stu- yeah. they could be student organizations that you didn't know you could mm-hmm. be leveraging. Cool. Yeah. All right. So final thoughts, what would be uh, main main takeaways here for people listening? I think you if you had to pick like, I don't know, (laughs) two or three. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll go back to what I said at the beginning. Right. Like social listening gives you access to the world's largest always on focus group that you can search for whatever is strategically important to your institution and allows you to center your audience and I have been talking about this for six years now, and I think it is time for higher ed to recognize that it's not a social media thing, right? Social listening Mm -hmm. is about serving your market. It's about anticipating rather than reacting. It's about understanding alignment between institutions and the people it is meant to serve or could be serving in the future. It's not how do I get a better social media account? It's how do I be a more sustainable and centered institution that meets the needs of the marketplace I'm trying to serve. And I don't think we can ignore that anymore. Absolutely. Wow. This has been just an awesome conversation. I've learned a lot. Um, that's, you know, part of why I have this podcast is like the free consulting, you know? (laughs) So, so, uh, yeah, I mean, so tell, tell people, uh, where, where can they connect with you? How can they connect with campus sonar? Um, that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so campus sonar is at campus sonar.com. I strongly recommend subscribing to our monthly newsletter. We'll actually send two emails a month. One is a letter directly from me. And then one is some insights from my team. And that's a way to get an idea of what are we thinking? What's coming? What's next? Uh, I am on most platforms as Liz Gross 144 because 144 is a dozen dozen, which is a gross. And I needed to find a way to figure that out. Yes. If you ever ordered from Oriental Trading Company back in the day, like I did in student activities, you had to order things by the gross. And it was a package of 144. So never heard of that. Liz Gross 144 on, uh, I guess it's called X now, uh, Instagram and Blue Sky. And then I'm really active on LinkedIn. So slash Liz Gross on LinkedIn. No numbers on that one. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was a wonderful conversation. Um, Yeah, this has been great. Great. Thanks so much, John. Thanks for listening. Three things I want to give you before you go. Number one, reminder to sign up for my free weekly newsletter, all about creating content that resonates emotionally with your audience. And you can do that at unveiled.tv slash newsletter. Unveiled is spelled U-N-V-E-I-L-D. Number two, if you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone, share it with your team, your boss, your dog, whatever. And if you're not already subscribed, I'd love for you to do that. Uh, Number three, reach out to me. If you have comments, questions, you want to talk about a video project, whatever. My email is john at unveiled.tv. John is spelled J-O-H-N. Or follow me on LinkedIn. If you're searching for me, my last name is spelled A-Z-O-N-I. That's all for today. And I look forward to catching you on the next episode of the Higher Ed Storytelling University podcast. Thanks. Thanks.